0: Good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. My name, uh, as Dolly said, my name is Luke. I'm the high school pastor here. Uh, this is my 10th year uh, running the youth ministry or being a, a part of it. So uh, I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm also in immerse, so my final year. Uh, Lord willing, I graduate this year. Uh, so that'd be, that'd be fun if I did. Uh, so I've grown at Abbotsford uh, most of my life. Uh, now, I don't have many pet peas with Abbotsford, but I have two. The first is the air show. Hate it. Second, I'm not gonna even talk about it, but second, uh, the Agrifair. fair okay? I don't know if, yes, thank you, that's, that's a support. Um, I, lo- I grew up right on the east side of Rotary Stadium, so on Okanagan Drive, you could sit on the house and look and see like the Ferris wheel and whatever else that happened at the Agrifair. fair uh, And I remember always looking at it as a kid and being like, wow, that looks like fun, we should go. And then my parents every year would be like, no, we're not going. So if one year they finally caved we went to the Agra Fair and they paid a bunch of money for us to get in there and I'm like, sweet, can't wait for the rides. Like that's what every kid likes is the rides. And then you get in there and you realize you gotta pay more money for each ride. And my parents were like, no, we're just paying for you to get in, you're on your own. I'm like, I'm five, What what am I gonna do? And so I just remember walking around and being like, this sucks, like why do people come to this? And what do you even do here? Just walk around, that person's having fun, that person's having fun, this is not fun. Looking at other people, having fun. And so uh, I left and it was terrible, so never went back. Uh, Years pass and my family decides to take us to Disneyland. Now, Disneyland, basically the same as AgriFair. No, I'm just kidding. Very different scales, right? Disneyland and the AgriFair, because you pay your lump sum of money. I don't know how much it is at Disneyland, but you pay your lump sum of money, then you go in and You get to experience everything, all the rides, all the adventure. You get to see the shows. Everything is like free. I mean, you paid for it, but you can see it all now. The reason I bring that up is I I think uh, when you compare and contrast the Agri-Fair and Disneyland, we kind of live our Christian lives like the Agri-Fair, where uh, Christ paid for your salvation, but now that you're in, there's just a little bit more you got to do there's a little bit extra things that now you're a Christian, here's the do's and don'ts of being a Christian, this is what you do. Now that you're in, it's great that you're here, but now if you wanna actually enjoy the things, you gotta start paying your way. Whereas it's different with Disneyland, where I think is a more accurate representation of the Christian life. You get in, everything is now yours. You don't have to pay extra to go on uh, Splash Mountain or the Coaster or those are all the names I know. <laughs> That's it. You don't, you don't have to pay. And it's even better. It's not like you have to even pay for like that big turkey leg or the, the mac and cheese or the Mickey Mouse little hat thing. You don't have to pay for that. It's all yours. Imagine that kind of Disneyland. That's what being in Christ is about. So our main point that I want you guys to walk away with is that once we're in Christ we have all sufficient merit. In Christ, we have all sufficient merit. Everything in Christ is now yours because what he has done, you do not have to continue to earn it because there's nothing you can do. So uh, we're in the book of Galatians for this sermon. Uh, Galatians 2, uh, 11 to 21. um, If you wanna follow along. And I have three points. Uh, The first point is the incident. So uh, in this story, you're going to hear Paul, who's writing the book of Galatians, talk about uh, what happened that he's like the purpose of kind of why he's writing this letter. So we're going to hear the incident that happened with Peter and some other people, and Paul is going to be writing about that. The second point is how we are saved by faith, and the third point, live by faith. So the incident, saved by faith, live by faith. Okay, so we're going to go right into the incident. So, uh, Galatians 2, 11 uh, to 13 for the first point. But when Cephas, also Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him, Paul, face to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, a disciple of Jesus, he was eating with the Gentiles. Those are people who are non-Jews. So there's Jews, Gentiles. Jews, Gentiles, everyone who's not a Jew, okay? So keep that in your mind. It was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what, what we hear is that uh, Paul is writing about this incident that happened in Antioch. That here's Peter and James, uh, they're eating with the, the Gentiles and that means they could eat like pork or crawfish or other things that Jews were not allowed to eat according to the Levitical food ethics. So they, they, they weren't allowed to eat them as Jews, but now that Christ came and that Christ came to save everyone, they can now eat just like with the rest of the Gentiles. They could have bacon and they were very happy about it. But then these other people came The circumcision party The Jews came And they walked in And Peter and James looked up And they're like oh maybe we should hang out with those guys They look like a fun time Let's hang out with those guys And so they left the Jews And started hanging out with Or they left the Gentiles And started hanging out with the Jews They ignored and they brought back the food laws and so what, what we see here, it's like, you might think it's like, oh, there's, you have a bunch of friends in high school, and then all of a sudden the cool kids come around, they're like, hey, you, why don't you come hang out with us? And you say, see you later, nerds, I'm going to go hang out with the cool guys. That's what it kind of seems like, but it's actually something so much deeper than that. That you see that there was, there was this separation between Jew and Gentile, that Jew and Gentiles did not mix that Jews stayed on one side, Gentiles on another. You had different ethical things, different laws, and you just did not mix. And so there was was not a lot of love towards these two groups. But what changed that, one of the things that helped change that was Christ and a dream that Christ gave to Peter. In Acts 10 and 11, we see a story of how uh, God gives Peter this vision that everything is now clean that Jesus came for everyone. So we're going to read a bit of Acts 11. So if you want to uh, follow along, we're in Acts 11. We're just going to read 1 to 18. So it's a bit of a, a, bit of a chunk, but it's really, really uh, important for us to understand the context of this letter. So this is uh, a dream Peter had, and this is how Peter's talking about it, okay? So verse, uh, verse one, "'Now the apostles and the brothers "'who were throughout Judea "'heard that the Gentiles "'had also received the word of God.' So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. See, the circumcision party there again. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heavens, and its four corners, and it came to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat." and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he'd seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you'll be saved, and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just on, as on us, as the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave, some, gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ— Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God saying, now this is important. Then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So to sum up this story is that last line right here. Now the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So here Peter receives this vision that Christ is for everyone that there's no condemnation between Jew and Gentile, free or slave, man or female. Everyone is now can be in Christ. You don't have to be a Jew. You can be Jew or Gentile, does not matter. And so we see here that Peter gets it. He, he doesn't have to follow the food laws because Gentiles don't. So there's no extra things you have to do to follow Christ. It's just Christ and that's it. All you need is Jesus. All sufficient merit is in Christ. Right. So super good news that it doesn't matter who you are. Anybody can come to Jesus. But what we see in verse 12 is this. When certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So now that we understand more that Peter had this radical transformation that people don't have to be Jews to come to know Jesus, and now he's like, well, Gentiles, if you really want to come to know Jesus, maybe you should hang out with me and my buddies and uh, get circumcised and uh, start following the food laws. And so you might think, okay, like, why, why is that so wrong? One is that Peter, he feared man and not God, as we are told that we are to fear God, and Peter was acting hypocritically. So we'll look at those two things, Peter feared man and Peter acted uh, hypocritically. Did you know that in, in the Bible that it says over 300 times that we are to fear God? Right in Proverbs, you might have read the, beginning of, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or in, in Matthew 9, fear the one, who can kill both body and soul, Uh, or Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Friends, what a snare. What a snare is fearing man. Tim Keller, in his Galatians commentary, uh, he kind of sums this up, but that Uh, The opposite of fearing God is people-pleasing. And when I read that, I was like, man, Timmy K gets me again. Like, I understand the fear God part, and I understand the, okay, don't fear people part. Like, I'm not scared of man, but boy, do I try to please people. Like, that's a more palpable, like, understanding of this scripture. If it says, don't please people... How does, does that feel a bit different for us, where it says, don't please people? Like, what does that actually mean? If the opposite of fearing God is pleasing people, what does that mean in our day-to-day life? Like, you might have heard the quote, like, the people throw out there, if you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. Um, for me, a personal example, a couple years ago, while in a uh So in Immerse, you have three mentors and you hand in assignments to your mentors and they uh, write back feedback for you, either improve this, change this, or you're going to have to do a lot more work because this doesn't count at all. Uh, And then you have to like do what your mentors say. And so I was in my second year and I just remember like being so overwhelmed. Like I would submit an assignment, I would work hard and then it'd be like, and now add this to it and do this to it. What have you thought about this? I'm like, no, I didn't think about that or else that'd be in there. And so it was just uh, time and time again, I was just like, I just always felt like I wasn't good enough. You guys ever have that where you just, no matter what you do, you're just always like, I, I just will never be good enough. Here I am trying to learn about the word of God and refine my skills as a preacher, as a pastor. And what I'm actually worried about is whether or not my mentors think that I'm doing a good job. I have stopped fearing God and started people-pleasing. I remember sitting there, writing an assignment, being like, hey, how would he want me to word this? How would, what, what would he want me to say? And then I would do it, and then I would just be just, just so anxious to just get a good word back, and then it just wouldn't happen. And so... I remember I was having one of these times where I was just feeling really upset and sad, Um, and my wife, and she's fantastic. Uh, She saw me like this and uh, she's very poetic. And so she, uh, she writes out like prayers and poems and they're just like fantastic. Like, I was just like, Danae, where did you get this from? Like, this is great. And she's like, I wrote it, I'm like, wow. This is good. And so she gave me one of her uh, prayer poems that she wrote, and she's in her master's as well that she submitted for a class. And she's like, take this, take the word of God, sort yourself out, you're a mess. I'm like, thanks, wife. (laughs) And uh, so I went off, and then I remember sitting down on a bench, and I took out the piece of paper that she wrote, and like the first thing is his father, I'm sorry for having people's opinions of me higher than yours. And in that moment, I just crushed and I just started weeping. I'm like, my whole immersed time has been trying to please people. I have now put an idol of people in my life and trying to please them. And I just never could. And I was keep striving and striving and striving, work, 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 work. And I just couldn't get there. And it was crushing me. And it was that time it was God was saying to me, he's like, Luke, who are you trying to impress? You're already mine. And it's like just clicked. And I'm like, why am I here? Why am I in school? Just to please people? No, I'm here for the glory of God. See, we will never be enough. We will will never be enough for people. This is exactly why we need Christ, because he is such a better master. He is someone that will never be disappointed at us. He's not going to be like, Luke, I just wish you worked a bit harder in that. Because in Christ, we have all sufficient merit. This is why Paul is so opposed to, to Peter in this letter. That's why he is so upset. Because he knows the master of people will ruin you. But the master of God will help you live. And so second in that is Peter the hypocrite. As Paul is also so upset in this letter because of Peter's hypocrisy, he's saying all you need is Jesus, all you have all sufficient in Christ, all sufficient merit. But if you just add this like food law thing, much better. He's adding to the gospel. He's saying one thing and then living another way. Hypocrisy. In Christ, that's it. All sufficient merit. No no buts, no ands, period. In Christ, all sufficient merit. We don't need to add anything else. So that's the problem laid out. So what is Peter's response to this? What is Peter's response to this problem? And I think one of the things that he says is that you are saved by faith. You are justified by faith. So we're gonna continue on in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So what, what Paul is, is throwing in here, if you say uh, Christ, uh, it did, you have to do extra work to become a Christian, then Christ is still making us sinners. That if you have to still prove and do more things, Christ makes sinners. And does Christ make sinners? By no means Christ doesn't make sinners. What Peter is doing, as I mentioned in the hypocrisy part, is Peter's adding to the gospel. So what's so distressing about adding things on top of what Christ has already done? So let's take a look. So if we think about it, in Christ, uh, or as Christians, we are in Christ. you you look at Colossians 3, we are hidden in Christ. If you look at 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, he who knew no sin, Christ, bore our sin so that we, people, could be The righteousness of God, right? We we see the Old Testament and then revealed in the New Testament shows how Christ has been the all-sufficient scapegoat for our sins, so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. If we are in his righteousness, how does God see us? As his righteousness, right? He sees us. He sees Christ's righteousness. Now, what is Christ's righteousness? What is it? Well, think about it. It is what has Christ done? God became man, one. He lived a sinless and blameless life, two. He healed blind people, deaf people, mute people. He cast out demons. He multiplied bread. He fed the hungry. He raised people from the dead. He took on the sins of the world, died a terrible death, beaten bloody, bruised, whipped, scourged, laughed at, mocked, died on a cross, speared to death, Laid in a tomb, rose again, and then ascended, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, judging all for eternity. And Peter followed the food laws. That's what Peter's doing. He's like, he sees what Christ has done. He's like, wow, Christ, you did a lot of stuff. But let me just add, I followed food laws on your list. The big list that you have that Christ did, what if I just added myself in there? I was nice to my mom or I listened to the laws, or I read my Bible every day for two years. We add these things onto the gospel ourselves. We think that we can add stuff to the gospel, that we can add to whatever Christ has done. Christ paid for your all-inclusive pass at Disneyland, you don't have to keep paying. You don't have to, have to go around to the vendor and show your right record of like, look at what I've done. Does this pay for this ride? Because Christ has paid for it all. What could you possibly add to him? What on earth could we do to add to that gospel? Christ, in Christ, all sufficient merit. There is nothing that you, there is nothing that I can add in him. We are now the righteousness of God. It is not because of what we have done. Let me try like this. Here's a little experiment that we can do right now in this room. Okay? Everybody ready? It's an active thing. So you might have to move around. Okay. So what I want you to do right now is try to get into this room. There we go. James is in. Anybody else in? Try to get into this room. Just try. As hard as you can, try to get into this room. But it's silly, right? It's a silly experiment. Luke, you're dumb. Okay, I get it. We live our lives as Christians trying so hard to be in Christ, to try to be with Christ, that we forget that we're already here. It's like futility of trying to get into a room you're already in. You're already here. Christ has already paid your debt. You are now free in Christ. You don't owe anything anymore. You are now saved by faith. Uh, George Woodfield, on September 29th, 1770, he preached this outside for two hours to an audience of 6,000 pe- uh, people in Massachusetts. He summarized his two-hour sermon this way. Works, works. A man get to heaven by works. I would as soon think of climbing to the moon with a rope of sand. Can't do it. You can't do it. Just like I said, with the, with the adding onto the list, we can't add anything that can get our salvation. Now you might think, okay, hey, Luke, how is this practical, right? Because we, we like practicality and like, well, how do we actually walk away with the things from here? Uh, you might be thinking, okay, Luke, that's great too, but like, I don't add to the gospel. I don't like, I believe that I have all sufficient merit. Okay, so I deal with a lot of students uh, and we had these two students, uh, a couple over at me and Danae's for dinner, and uh, they come with a book of questions sometimes. And so they had one, only one question this time. And they're like, um, what do you do when you keep on sinning in life? Because they're like, well, I believe I'm a Christian and I want to like stop sinning, but I keep sinning. And I'm like, welcome to the club. And but they're like, so I'm just going to be sinning the rest of my life? Like what, like what practically does this look like? And so we chatted and talked about it. Uh, and one of the things is we, we talked about what do you do right after you sin, and that's a question I ask a lot of my high schoolers when they are wrestling with sin. I ask, what do you do right after you sin, and they're like, well, like usually uh, I feel really bad, um, I think about it, and then like maybe a couple days later I'm like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm like, you're adding to the gospel. And they're like, what? I'm like, you're adding. They're like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? I'm like, well, think about it. When you sin, you are then trying to feel sorry for yourself, being like, Luke, you shouldn't have done it, you shouldn't have sinned, dumb, 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 dumb. And you do that for a couple days and then you're like, Jesus, forgive me. Or a couple hours, whatever it is. We just go, I'm dumb, I shouldn't have done that, I'm better than that, Luke, argh. You sinned again right? We, we do this. What should our first reaction be when we sin? When we find that we're acting like a hypocrite, when we find that we're trying to, we, we actually end up are people-pleasing, what should our reaction be? One, remember. Remember what Christ has due. Two, repent. Three, rejoice. Remember, repent, rejoice. Remember, repent, rejoice. Remember, repent, rejoice. Remember, repent, rejoice. Remember the work Christ has done. Repent of saying, Father, I'm sorry. And rejoice of having a way out of sin. If you're in a hole and you have no way out of a hole, you are sulking because there's no way out of a hole. How do you, how are, what is your persona when you're in a hole and there's a way out of the hole? Do you be like, man, this sucks. I can't get out of this hole. There's a ladder there, but I can't get up. You don't sulk if you have a way out. Christians, so often, I talk to Christians who are so upset with their sin in their life. Christ has given you a way out of sin through his death and resurrection and ascension. And yet we think, I'm gonna feel crappy about myself for the next few hours, that will really teach me. Christ was beaten, bloodied, bruised, broken for you. And we think, that that I think, I can add, and Luke felt bad for himself for two hours right up there with the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. We think we should punish ourselves. And see, the, 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 the travesty in all this is, yes, that is a false gospel, that you don't need to do this anymore. Christ has done it for you. But the other part is, is God gets glory when you go back to him. God gets glory when God does God things. And what is something that only God does is He pulls sinners out of their sin and gives them life. And so often I see Christians who are in the room and they're just, oh man, life sucks. Life is hard. This is the worst. I'm sinning again. You're in the room. You have a way out of the hole. You're in Disneyland with all the things. Remember, repent, rejoice. You have a way out. Every single time when we sin, God says, come to me, my child. Take my yoke upon me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He says, come back, dear child. I want you. Again and again and again. Our God is a God who saves his people and reminds them that you are in the room that you are saved by faith first John 9 if we first John 1 9 if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness Christ is faithful and will Always forgive his people. There's nothing that you can do to earn his forgiveness. You already have it. Don't sulk. This might sound like heresy. It's not. I tried it on another pastor. It's not okay that you sin, but it's okay when you sin. It's not okay that you sin, but it's okay when you sin because you have a way out. Remember, Repent, rejoice, because you have a way out. So we have looked at, we've looked at the incident, we've looked at how we are saved by faith, and now we wanna look at how, how do we live by faith? How do we live like we're in the room? How do we live like we're in Disneyland? So, uh, verse 19, follow along. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died by no, for no purpose. But we see that Christ did die for a purpose. So now that we are the righteousness of God. So now we live by faith in the son of God. We now live by faith. That God is faithful to forgive. That we are justified by faith. Uh, John Newton, writer of Amazing Grace, uh, he has this uh, story that I think was really helpful when I heard this. Um, picture the man on his way to claim uh, half a billion dollars. Bouncing along, remember this is old time, so he uses some weird language. Bouncing along in his carriage mobile. Uh, happily, eagerly bouncing along. Now he's got the city in his sights. He grins, almost there, so close. Then, at the two kilometer mark, oh my, he hits the sinkhole and the carriage shakes. Underneath him, it groans, wobbles, quakes, and now, oh dear, a, wall fall, a wheel falls off. On the outskirts of the town where his fortune awaits, the carriage breaks down. He jumps down to inspect his broken wheel. Now, hear what happens next. The man doesn't reason right, he doesn't think. I'll run. It's just a short mile or two to town. Then I'll walk in and stake my claim and earn my half billion dollars. No, he stumbles all the way, grumbling as he goes. My carriage is broken. My wheel fell off. Sometimes in our life, the wheels fall off. Or maybe all the time. Maybe we never had wheels to begin with. And life is just hard. There's things that happen along the way that just that just, just really suck and just really throw a wrench in the plans that you have for life. You lose people, people move away. Whatever it happens, things get hard. But what is your reaction to it? When things get hard, and maybe when it's your fault or not your fault, whatever it is, what is your reaction? We live by faith in the Son of God. We have eternal riches. We have eternal riches that lie waiting for us to be with him one day. That we get to look at Christ face to face where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow. That we get to live for an eternity getting to know Jesus and the riches that come with being with him. That we get that in full. That is awaiting our destination. In the meantime, we get to be in the room with Christ, pursuing him and loving him, following him step by step. How are we gonna finish the race? The race of life. Grumbling, complaining about our wheel or that we have to, walk in between rides at Disneyland? How do we go in? Christ is all sufficient. The merit he gives us is so worth it. His yoke is easy, his burden is light we are saved by faith and now we get to live by faith. And how I wanna close is uh, with uh, reading of a song. We're gonna actually sing the song too but I wanna just read some of the lyrics. Uh, It's all sufficient merit, surprise. Um, I'm gonna just read a verse and a chorus. If you wanna like just close your eyes, listen to these words, it's really, it's a wonderful song. I lay down my garments, an empty boast. Good works, now all corrupted by the sinful host. Dressed in my Lord, Jesus, a crimson robe made white. No more fear of judgment, his righteousness is mine. It is done, it is finished. No more debt I owe. Paid in full, all sufficient, merit now my own. It is done, it is finished. No more debt I owe. Paid in full, all sufficient. Bear it, now my own. We are now in Disneyland. Everything is free, everything is yours. You're in the room. Remember, repent and rejoice. Let me pray. Uh, Father, you are good. Uh, We are thankful uh, for your word and we're thankful that we can learn from people's experiences of uh, not following you correctly so we can learn and see the fruitlessness there is in not following you and not seeing that you bring life. So I pray for our hearts. I pray that you would uh, help us see you more clearly, how you are better and how in you we have all sufficient merit. There is nothing that we can do to earn anything that we have your righteousness. So help us, Father, remember, and remind us to repent, and remind us to rejoice. How oh, We love you. Help us love you more. Amen.